This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Freelancer Show Q&A. This week, we have on our panel Curtis McHale. Hello. We also have Eric Davis. Hi. We have Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And yeah, so if you want to start putting questions in the chat, that would be awesome so we can uh, see what things we can answer for you to see what we can do. While we're waiting for questions to come in, do you guys want to just talk about briefly where you're at with your businesses? Maybe some of the things you're working on? Yeah, yeah. My biggest thing I'm working on right now is actually my goals for 2015. I think I've come around to an overall concept of a 10x business. So I did just just over 100 grand last year, and I'd like to 10x that and start thinking of my business as a 10x, right? So that's a million dollars. And looking at my clients as a 10x reach. So I just worked on one for greater impact, and it's a women's ministry, and it coaches you through like marriage and being a mom and stuff like that. And that reaches not just the women, but you know all the people and their family and their friends and everything. And so I've been kind of thinking I'm going to focus down more on those types of sites, whereas the 10X, I'm also going to work with a company called Happy Joe, which teaches veterans how to do business and how to do freelance and how to be a web business. So that's another 10X reach, right? Giving a veteran those tools, you know, increases their family and gets out to everything else. So that's kind of what I'm working on and thinking about. And I've been mostly off the last weekend this week. Very nice. How about you, Eric? I mean, I've been doing a lot of rebranding, a lot of trying to figure out like, Instead of just being, like I was doing the Redmine stuff for a while, but I got rid of that. And now I'm trying to figure out like what I want to do with my life. And just been doing basic general Ruby on Rails consulting. And I'm trying to like focus down, figure out not just niche, but like specialty and all that stuff. So I guess the past three weeks, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's probably going to take a bit longer before it's finalized and I actually know what I'm doing. Like going back and forth, be three different ideas, I think, right now. So it's fun. It's just, it's, you know, a lot of that hard thinking you have to do and know what you're doing. Makes that's sense. a process too, right, Eric? Like, I've niched down to membership and e-commerce sites, and then I'm going to be pushing further into kind of like 10x businesses, I think, and and more probably more membership than at that point. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. Is like I've been trying a couple of things, but it didn't work or didn't work the way I thought, and so I have to iterate and kind of figure out. Okay, well, based on that feedback, how do I want to change it? And some of it's just from talking to other people and you know getting a bit farther outside my main circle of contacts. All right. Got to- we do have a question, but Ruben, what are you up to these days? What am I up to? So I've got a few things going on. First of all, I'm still dipping my toes into the water of having some passive income and learning how that works. So I've got the, my Drill Chinese site, which I've, I've gotten some feedback on, and I'm going to try to improve. I'm trying something also totally different, like a, a daily, well, it's called daily tech video, sort of 
the idea is it's a daily tech video, surprisingly enough. And we'll see if I can find things that are interesting. Truth be told, at the very least, it's a good way for me to uh, sort of organize the videos that are on my computer and get them off, and also hopefully share ones that are interesting. And so I'm sort of trying that. I'm also trying more, I guess you could call it active income through products, where I'm now sort of in the second stage of my ebook, where I'm starting to put together videos, and then I can package it up and sell it as a, a real product and not just a pre-sale thing. And I'm also, and hopefully the wrong people are not listening to this podcast, but I'm also starting to break away from the training company that I've been working with for a few years and starting to just work on my own. I think I've sort of maxed out the relationship there, certainly the income levels. And I'm starting to put feelers in all those directions so that hopefully a year from now I'll be basically just training on my own and I'll have some product income as well. And then also a mix of uh, clients who keep coming in, which is kind of nice. But I'll be in a position a better position to say no when I'm less sure what that's a good match for me and my skills. Hmm. What about you, Chuck? I've got a couple of things going. The first one is uh, JS Remote Conference or JS oh, Remote Conf. So it's an online conference for JavaScript developers. I've had several people in Western Europe and thereabouts, time zone-wise, tell me that it's a terrible time for them because it's in the middle of the night. So I'll probably do something different next time, and I feel bad about that this time, but there's not really a whole lot I can do at this point. But, yeah, but uh, you're always going to upset someone with times. It's either you know, someone in Australia, Eastern Europe, you know, U.S. It's, I mean, you're never going to get it right. Yeah, if I do it in the morning U.S. time, then yeah, everybody in the South Pacific's kind of out of luck. So Anyway, so I've got that going on, and then I've been working on devchat.tv and getting a lot of the marketing stuff together there, which is probably going to be my focus over the next week or two, and then I'm picking up some client work because... I had some money in the bank and I kind of ran it out, so <laughs> gotta get more. <laughs> but finding new clients hasn't been too much of a challenge at this point, so it's nice when you have a lot of relationships with people and you can just ask them for that. So yeah, so those are kind of the big deals there. And then yeah, I don't know what else to say. So yeah, just working on that stuff. So we have our first question then too now, right? Yeah. About using what do you guys use for your contract? So he has a client and needs a contract for it. And I posted mine in the chat. Maybe it's a variation of the contract killer, which I think Stuff and Nonsense originally did that, and I forget the dude's name originally. But I was Why would it be called a contract killer? Like, is that because like a really good contract? Or <laughs> It is the only contract you're going to read and you will laugh at. So mine has references to like robots, maple syrup, and carrier pigeons, and homework. Aha. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the idea is what? That you... like. It's to, I guess I'll, I'll bring this up and I'll be able to see it, but the idea is what, like this shows you all the ridiculous things. Oh, the popular open source contract, okay. Yeah, it's just a contract out there. Like I've had my lawyer look at it in Canada. I know friends who have looked at it in the U.S. had it looked at, and they said, the lawyer says this is the weirdest contract I've ever read, but I don't see anything <laughs> that would fall from this outside of it's weird to read. Uh, like Clients get it and they say, I have never read a contract that was that easy to understand, and I have never laughed at a contract before, and that is awesome. So I've got a simple contract that I use with people, perhaps too simple. I, can, I, I guess I can search for it and, and post it. But, uh, I mean, I've had a few lawyers look at it, and they were like, oh, yeah, this is fine. And my real pride there is that it's really, really ridiculously simple. I mean, it basically says, I do the work, you pay me, you own what I did, unless it's open source, in which case it's everyone's. And now the thing is, I mean, I don't know if you guys have had this experience. I would say about half my clients are totally okay signing my contract, and half my clients are big companies where they say, oh, no, 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 we have our standard contract. And you, you must be joking if you think that we're going to sign your little, you know, who, who are you anyway contract. Basically, I, I try to use it when I can, but I know that the bigger the company, the less likely it is that they'll agree to it. Yeah, I've been using a variation on the new leaders contract. 
they open sourced their contract a few years ago. And yeah, it has a lot of language in there that you can tell the clients that read it and the clients that don't because uh, the clients that don't just sign it. <laughs> the clients that, that read it, they're like, well, there's this in here that I don't like. And so, you know, I usually wind up, you know, compromising on some of it. And there are things in there that I'm definitely willing to negotiate on. But yeah, I'll see if I can find a link to that and put it up in the, the chat room. But The uh, biggest thing I added to the contract killer besides some Canadian references, so I just switched out some of their funny ones, was the GPL, which is the WordPress software license, right? Which basically right. says we can do whatever we want with it. And it says, I could, that's what the license says, it would be dumb to reveal your business processes. That is absolutely protected and it would be dumb to not talk to you about you know, giving out the stuff I did first is the very short version of it. Yeah, makes sense. Do you guys have like a master services agreement and then contract for individual work or do you just have a contract? I mean, I just have a contract that I use with people. I've never had anything, you know, the whole MSA business. Yeah, yeah. I just have a contract that says it in the top, like what the value is and, and like deliverables. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for me it depends on the contract. So if it's a contract that is hourly, then a lot of times, yeah, I'll just go with the contract because it covers for hourly. Then I'll put that in a statement of work. And then it's, you know, this is the statement of work and this is what's going to you know, this is what applies and this is what doesn't. And, you know, you kind of get an idea from there as to what's going on. So, so anyway, yeah. And then they have to sign, they have to sign the statement of work so that it's as binding as the contract. What do you do, Eric? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I had an attorney set up a MSA, SOW and a master services agreement and statement of work. And they used their template and then I had them customize it because I needed sections for if the code was GPL and based on ownership and, you know, a bunch of different things. And so it's not if, but it's like little, little if blocks of like, if the client wants this, take this section out. But the reason I like the MSA is because that's like all the legal jargon. Um, it also includes an NDA. So I can really early on hit the client with, oh, you don't want to talk to me because you want an NDA. Well, here, sign this large contract now that has a good NDA in it. And what we can do is we can build on that. If I can get a client to commit to signing that right away, my statement of work is like two pages long. So it's a lot easier to convince them, like, you've already signed this big one. The little one's not much more. But, yeah, it's I do the MSA and then SOWs for however we break up the projects. It could be, you know, a trial project. It could be a month at a time. It could be 12 months at a time, whatever. There's a couple of clients where we had an MSA. Then I think we did like four or five SOWs over the course of like four or five years. So it's flexible in that, in that regard. So you don't have to do a lot of renegotiation of everything. What's the advantage of having the MSA and the individual SOWs as opposed to just having a contract and then, you know, you just sort of renew the contract for additional work? Not much. I mean, legally, the SOWs become part of the master services agreement like they get included in. So like having them split up isn't a big thing. I think if you have a lot, like my master services agreement is really long. So I think it might be intimidating to have it, you know, like having to re-sign, we'll say 15 pages every year for that instead of having two pages to sign. And some of my clients, I know one in particular, we did a lot of one-off projects like over and over. And so having just a short, like, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the cost. That was a benefit for them is they can move faster. They don't have to like send it to their attorney to go through it each time. My MSA is very legal looking. My statement of work is very uh, normal talk. It's very plain. There's a couple of things of how it gets associated into the MSA, but the SOWs, I type most of it out myself. It looks a lot like a proposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same with having it separate. The other thing that is nice is that if the scope of work is important, like on the one-off projects, then having that specified as part of the contract as the statement of work really pays off and keeps things simple. So 
you know, in that case, I don't have them renew. We just finish when the, you know, when the work is done on the statement of work. But the other thing is, is that in a lot of cases, I've actually used it in basically saying, these are the services I'm willing to render to you. And then anything that's not on there is not covered by the contract. So then if they ask me to do anything outside of that, I can either tell them no or negotiate a different price for that. So for example, if they, you know, if they're wanting me to do things that are kind of a hassle that are not in the statement of work, then I can say, look, you know, that's not really my core competency or that's not what I want to do. And I can tell them no, or you know, which I can do anyway, I guess, with a contract. But if they insist, then I can give them an outrageous price and they can't insist that the hourly rate in the master services agreement applies to those things. So hmm. and see, I've actually done a different thing. A lot of times the statement of work, cause that's like the project itself. I'll define like the scope and deliverables to be very open and be like, uh, like we might've talked about it in like the first few calls of like, okay, here's what we're, the project is, what we're going to work on. And then I say the actual, I forget how I phrase it. It's like the actual deliverables will be determined based on agreement of the client and developer using, you know, whatever communication or their project management system or whatever. And I like those because that means I don't have to spend a lot of time up front getting like the exact scope nailed down of what they want. Mm -hmm. But I can like, okay, we agree on the rate, we agree on the timeline, let's keep the feature set kind of vague, and that way we can actually change it. I used to be really hard-nosed with like every feature you needed, and then if halfway in the project we found out that we would actually didn't need a feature and we wanted to bring in some other stuff, we'd have to go back into contract negotiation. And so I've gone the other way, make it kind of vague, but make it clear that both I have to agree with it and they have to agree with it, and that's both like scoping, estimates, cost, everything. And that seems to work pretty good because it kind of pushes all that into just standard project management, project communication instead of being contract negotiation, which is when people have their defenses up. Hmm. All right, should we do the next question? Yeah. It's what is the mixture of products to services and what are your end goals for that split? Why don't we have uh, Eric start us off with this one? Well, all of my products are ebooks or training, so they're one-off. It ranges as far as revenue-wise. I think it's... 10% is probably the average. Sometimes like launches, it spikes maybe 20, 30%. And then some periods, it's just down to zero because I'm not promoting it. But I think 10% has been pretty consistent over the years. Time-wise, it's all over the map. If I'm making a new product, I'm spending a lot of time to build it. I'm launching something or if I'm actively marketing it to bring it back up, there's obviously more time going in there. And then on the other hand, sometimes I'm 100% on client work. Like about two years ago, I was doing full-time you know, full weeks for a client. And so product stuff kind of just fell by the wayside. Ideally, I would rather have it flipped. I'd rather have, I'd say at least 80, maybe 90% stuff in products or, you know, even if it's live services where I'm actually doing the work, it's not like passive and then have some really good high value consulting clients on the side, like a couple of quarter is kind of my goal. And that's actually kind of what I wrote down when I started the business seven years ago. So, you know, that's still my focus. That's still where I'm heading towards. It just takes a while to get there. Mm -hmm. Curtis? Like last year, I said about 10 to 15%. This year, I'm down to like two to, two to five maybe because launches didn't go as well as I had hoped they would. And then the other products are a little older, so they're just not selling like they would. But yeah, I'm probably two to five. And I would like to be in the same position as Eric, although I'd class it as 100%. I'd like to see all of my, the income I have to have, right? Pays all my bills, so say it's between 90 and 100 grand a year coming from products and then take one client a quarter. Like one client a quarter where I could really dig in and because everything else is taken care of, like I don't need to worry about bills day to day, I could really dig in and even do a client that, you know, maybe couldn't afford my rates that I charge right now because it has to pay the bills. So say um, some sort of ministry or even 
know, whatever, like the pound or something, right? They need some work done and I can really help them provide a lot of value. So I charge them an appropriate amount for them, which may be lower than I actually charge now because that would let me dig in and just not worry about the money on it, right? So I even was just listening to Art of Value and they were talking about pay what you want pricing and that was interesting in that regard going forward once I had enough other income coming in all the time to just say, hey, this is the service we did. Here's an invoice. Put what you need on the bottom of it that you think the value is worth to your organization. Yep. Ruben? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I would like my split to be, I think, a little more even. Um, I mean, yes, I'm looking to do more and more products, especially books and packages or package up my training stuff. But I really like the interactions with people, whether it's development or training. And so I'm probably aiming for somewhere around a 50-50 split. That said, when we had Kurt Elster on, and I've heard him and interacted with him in, in other places, when he would talk about having these small sites that could provide passive income, they basically would do what uh, Curtis was just mentioning. You know, you, you've got your income more or less set. You're going to cover all of your basic expenses. And then everything else is just sort of gravy, and you have the freedom to then really decide what you want to work on. Oh, I think this month I'll work on a product. I think next month I'll take on some clients. And then you can really, really be choosy about what you work on. Uh, and if you choose to reduce your rates or just do some volunteer work or whatever, yeah, you feel free to do that. You don't feel like, uh-oh, you know, now I can't pay the mortgage. So part of the reason why I'm sort of experimenting in a few different directions at once with a product and with some of these passive income sites is just sort of learn how they work and see what kind of balance I can get. But I would not be surprised if, say, I should put it a different way, I would love it if a year from now I were, say, you know, halftime, let's say two weeks out of the month, doing actual training, interacting, and working on site with clients, and the other two weeks just, you know, tweaking products, writing, recording videos, and so forth. Yeah, and I would say even greater impact that I just worked with, I was quite expensive for them. There was so much more we could do there to really impact and get more people through there, to even through their conversion funnel, which sounds, you know, very businessy, but they're all volunteers, and it, like, say, really impacts people's lives, right, and can help them have better marriage, better you know, better life all over. And so getting more people to come through that and like they're only charging $30 or $50, I think, if you do a, the book and like a course with them. So it's very inexpensive, but it can really impact. I wish that I had more time to dig in deeper because there's so much more I could dig in with them and do, but I can't, like I have to pay bills. Yeah, and I think trying to have like a hard ratio of like 80-20 or 90-10 is hard because at a certain point, your total income starts going up. And so it's like, you know, maybe your product income goes up and you can't keep that balance and so you're playing with it. I mean, I do actually do this in, you know, how the way I think about it is the same as what I've also said, where you want a certain level of, like, you know, maintain your standard of living and then above it is everything else. And that's kind of where I'd like to be with product stuff. But as far as effort-wise, like, I'd like to do a little bit of consulting still because, especially for the kind of products I do, if I'm not doing it, I feel like I'm kind of getting out of the loop. I'm kind of getting rusty. And mm -hmm. if I'm training other people on stuff, it's like I need to feel like I'm still doing the stuff that I'm training. And I think that's important to keep in mind, too. If you do a product where, you know, it's maybe it's a SaaS or something, you don't have to have that active learning side of it. It might not be a big deal. But if you are doing training or you're teaching people on something that you're not doing anymore, you kind of need to keep that in mind. Yeah, and for me, currently, I guess if you count like podcast sponsorships and stuff like that, then I would say that maybe 20% of my income is from services, from the podcast sponsorships and things like that. But, you know, the rest of it, I would definitely like to increase that. I don't know if it's podcast sponsorships or other things. I mean, I'm trying to put on events and stuff like that. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier with JS Remote Conf. So I go back and forth on wanting to do consulting or contracting on top of the products, because obviously, yeah, I mean, I would like to have products have recurring income every month so I don't have to worry about paying the bills. But, you know, I would like to, you know, I, I want to stay current, but what I've been doing is I've been working on some video series. And the other thing is, is I want to build some SaaS products, 
which is software as a service if you're not familiar with the slang. So things like Gmail is an example of a SaaS product or, you know, basically any service out there that is provided by software online. And so I'd like to build a few of those and kind of break into one of the other niches that I'm interested in and provide products for that group. And I think that would keep me up to date to some degree. And then also doing training videos would also provide me opportunities to stay up to date simply because I'd be talking to my audience and finding out what they're interested in. And between that and the podcast, I tend to be able to stay current with what's going on in the community, even if I'm not you know, out there, you know, changing clients every few months. So, yeah, I mean, you have to do something. You either need to be, you know, in the trenches working for a client, which can also cause you to regress if the client's so focused on one thing and they don't move, mm-hmm. you know, with the new trends. But you need to do it. You need to have an active effort. You need to, like, either be reading or doing coaching with people. Like, you have to, like, think about it. And I, I know a couple of people in the past that had kind of training businesses and they got out of the loop and, I was like, uh, something bad's gonna happen to their business once they did, like, they go full time on something. And, you know, just like I predicted, it happened to at least three or four of them that I can think of. And that's just something to watch for, especially if you're doing training or education stuff. Yeah, I know the authors at Linda, because one of them, the head WordPress guy for Linda is in Vancouver, and they're supposed to be doing some other client works. They are supposed to be doing, like, they, you know, build demo sites. They really are, like, highly encouraged and part of their job to continue to dig in and not just be, you know, quote unquote, trainers. Mm-hmm. Right, but I, I mean, I do a ton of training, but if I didn't do development for clients or myself, or if I weren't just sort of experimenting with things and talking to people all the time about these technologies, I can easily imagine that I would get, as it were, out of shape. Not only because, I mean, I'm constantly updating my classes, constantly updating my slides, constantly sort of incorporating new stuff that I've learned. But it's not just new stuff I've learned from you know, conferences and blogs and so forth. It's, wow, this really hurt when I did it this way. I'm going to teach my people not to do that. And I've been told that that's like, the big value, I guess not surprised, the big value in the courses that I teach, that yeah, you know, you can go and read the manual and learn the syntax yourself. What you really want to know is, don't do X, it'll really hurt. And that's just going to come from experience. Should we go on to the next question, or do you guys have more on that? No, I just say echo what they said. Like, as I teach about business or write about it, if I'm not dealing with lots of clients, then it's dealing with clients regularly, then it's a great way to talk about something and get paid for telling you how to do something that I don't do. It's <laughs> not what I want, right? Right. All right, so the next one is, what is a good way to build your skills to go out into freelance from your current job? Like, what would be good exercises to increase WordPress, Ruby, or Ruby on Rails skills? And I kind of want to tackle this, but I think the second question is a little bit misleading because it's not just being good at whatever it is that you're going to go out and contract for. I mean, there are a lot of things that you have to get good at in order to have a successful business. So, you know, you need to probably want to build an audience of some kind, you know, blogging, YouTube, podcasting, whatever it is, so that, you know, you're reaching the people that you can help so that you have that marketing and and you're going to need to build marketing skills. And, you know, you can backfill some of that by hiring people. But when you're first getting started, if you're strapped for money, then you're going to have to do it yourself and you're going to have to build those skills. You know, if, if you're competent at, you know, WordPress or Ruby or whatever, then you can find the contracts. But the trick is, is, you know, finding the contracts. Yeah, when I talk to freelancers that are struggling, the biggest thing I find is not that they're incompetent at developers or designers, it's that they're incompetent business owners. Mm -hmm. They don't run a business, they're not geared into the marketing, they haven't really read on that. So they get busy and they stop marketing and then six months later they have no clients because they got busy and they didn't market. And the marketing you're doing today is the client say six months or a year from now. And so even more than your technical skills, I think you need to be focusing on your business skills, pricing, marketing, client acquisition, client vetting, you know, 
doing your after action reviews on projects and you can do a lot of that on the side but that's the stuff that is most likely to trip you up for sure. I would argue in addition to that that yeah it's it's obviously important to sort of see your business as a business but you also have to recognize that your clients care way less about the technology than they do about their interactions with you as a person and I think we've said many times on this podcast like better to be a so-so developer and an amazing communicator and decent person then be a fantastic developer and just a jerk to work with because your clients will leave you. If you're a jerk and listening to this, then take that to heart, right? But um, <laughs> If you're a jerk, you don't know you're and a you, jerk. And you know who you are, folks. But really, people, uh, like the clients, are not, generally speaking, looking for technical wizardry so much as, even like to some degree, someone to listen to their problems and help them walk through them. I mean, the number of times that I've gone to clients' offices where... They could have just read the documentation themselves, but they want to sort of talk it out and have a sounding board and make sure they're not totally crazy for going in a certain direction. And to them, yeah, it was totally worth it to pay me to do that. Well, they want reassurance, like your basic insurance policy of if they do something wrong, you're there to help them or you're there to hold their hand through it. Right. It's an emotional buy versus a, a knowledge buy. Right. I was going to yeah, say, they I care about outcomes too, right? Not your, mm-hmm. like you said, I was just listening to Brendan Dunn on my way just driving to the office this morning and he was talking about like selling test driven development. You'd sell them how awesome test driven development is. No, you sell them on the long term cost of ownership, the value of that, and that's why we do it, right? If you're talking about deep in the weeds technical stuff about why test driven development is awesome, then you're having the wrong conversation because you should be having a value conversation. Let me just get back to the, the question that was posed, which is you know, a good way to build your skills from your current job. So first of all, look, the, the classic answer to this is find an open source project and work on it, which I have not done, but I, th- I think can be very valuable if you're really not sure where to go or what direction to go in. But I think also trying to find, you know, if you can sort of start with relatively low rates and almost use these you know, initial clients as a ramp to get up and increase your skills and increase your savvy as a freelancer... I think that can work totally fine. I mean, <laughs> I just spoke to someone today who said, wow, I would really love to work with you, but you're just, you know, your rates are just way too high. I'm really looking for someone who's less experienced and cheaper. I yep. was like, okay, fine. So this might be you, Intel Walk. Yeah. My first client was, I did exactly that. I mean, I undercut everybody by like half. And, you know, I had plenty of programming experience, but I didn't have enough freelancing experience. But that got me that first contract. And then, you know, then I had a little bit more room to go out and find another one because it wasn't a full-time contract. And that worked out. So, you know, I I think Ruben's advice is spot on. One other point that I want to make, and it's another thing that Ruben said, I just want to give kind of a case in point. I'm talking to somebody right now who's a friend of mine who is trying to get a business off the ground. He has a physical product that he sells, and so he has some e-commerce software that he wants to use because the major vendor of the particular product that he sells, I'm not giving details because... But anyway, so they use a Ruby on Rails system, and they integrate nicely with Spree, which is the e-commerce solution for Ruby on Rails. And so they told him, if you use Spree, then you can just do the integration pretty seamlessly, which is, you know, he can reach many, many more people by selling through this particular vendor. So he went to a company here. He's a local guy here in Utah. And he went to a company here in Utah and talked to them. And they said, yeah, we can totally, you know, customize Spree for you. We can make it do everything you want it to, uh, get it to behave in the ways that you want it to. And then every time that he talked to him, oh, and he also mentioned that he had a show that he wanted to present at this last weekend. And so he went out and actually, you know, talked to him. And every time he would reach out to him, they, you know, they weren't communicating well. And so I'm probably going to wind up picking up the contract here within the next week or so and and getting him to that place before the next show. But the thing that's really sad about it is that he spent like $7,000 
and you know he's got a bad taste in his mouth and I know that this company picks up a lot of jobs here in Utah and this particular person is you know he gets involved in the programming communities and stuff and so if word gets around they're gonna have problems and what it really boiled down to was that they didn't communicate well they're capable but they didn't talk to him about what they needed from him. They didn't talk to him about what was going on with them. And then they didn't communicate to him that they were going to miss the deadline for this major show until a week before, and then it was too late. So, you know, the, the communication is really key, and that's, that's definitely a skill you need to pick up. Something to remember in that story, too, is that we probably all have projects like that. I would admit that I have one that is making the rounds, and all the people that are finding out about one I did not finish well on are my friends. So they're like, hey, Curtis, what about this project you were talking about? And I get to revisit it at this point every week, which is awesome. Oh, yeah, so, fun. <laughs> not at all. And, I, and honestly, great client. I just I finished poorly. I, I didn't complete it poorly. So we all are going to have stuff like that. It is good that my friends know it because they know I'm not a moron all the time. It is bad because I get to hear about it every week as another friend starts talking about the project. Did you do this? <laughs> but I think it's important, too, that you're owning up to it. Yeah, you know, I screwed up. I have one or two that people don't really know about, I guess. But, yeah, it's the same thing, you know. If I got asked about it, I'd be like, yeah, this is where I screwed up. And incidentally, right. on most of those, it was a communication issue. In fact, on the one that I'm thinking of in particular, it was a communication problem. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't have two yeah, projects. Bit in mind. Oh, sorry. I don't have to that in mind, too. And that's what I've said. Like, this is an awesome client. I think you're going to have you know, thirty to $50,000 worth of work next year. I have nothing. I would love to win them back, but I do not. I believe at this point, if I talk to them, they'd just be more angry, which is not useful to anyone, mm -hmm. right? So I'm here to assist you with whatever you need on that project to complete it. Yep. So what about the technical skills? Reuven said work on open source. Follow a program where you really, you look up to that is better than you ahead of your game. So I... Like actually stalk them. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's address wow. is... Yeah, I have a few <laughs> former students that I taught, and they have continued to follow me and you know showed me what they're doing. And because they're students, we have some relationship. I have like looked at it quickly. Now I'm employing one to actually do a project for me coming up. Actually, they're doing it right now. I'll check with him again on Thursday, and that gives him code review. And like you know, as he starts to work himself out, that's a good way to do it. And that's a lot of what I did. I say dove into an open source project of someone I knew that was really good, and then got my code blasted and kept going back. Mm. So the next question is related to that. Do you have a certain project you use to learn or refine something new you're trying to pick up? Oh, I mean, like, yeah. like, a, like a standard sort of, people always love to do to-do lists. So I, I think the question is like, do you have your favorite you know, uh, implementation of to-do lists that you try to do in different technologies? I think that's what the question is. I'm not sure. Could be. That's how I take it. Yeah, when I'm taking out a new membership platform, I'll build a to-do list or a journal, which ultimately technically is very similar, right? You have private things that are only yours and other people in the membership can't see it on the site and you get to keep access to these tasks or entries if you continue to pay. So that's a good standard one that I use to evaluate new platforms. There's a lot of similar technical aspects to most of what the rest of the things I do anyways. Yeah, for yeah. me, it really depends. And a lot of times I'll just build, I'll like rebuild their demo app or something like that. Because then I have something to work off of. I have examples and I can just kind of go from there. A GitHub repository, when you realize you did it wrong, you can just clone it over top of yours and say, hey, look, it works now. <laughs> I think I've always just got like stuff I want to do, and so if I'm trying a new technology, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try it in this. And even if it's a throwaway thing, that I've always been curious about X or curious about Y, so I try different things. Often I think because I do a lot of training, because I end up training people in the technologies that I use, I think I'll also try to think about what would be a good way for other people to enter this technology, and then I try to sort of implement something along those lines. Yep. I do a to-do list also. I mean, it's funny, every programmer does it, 
I did a thing called like a weekly tech learning for a while where it was I was picking out technology that's pretty far outside of Ruby and Rails. And uh, the thing with to-do lists is almost every programmer knows the scope, knows how it works. And so you remove a lot of the, I don't understand the business logic behind it. And so it's very much just a technical implementation. And what was nice is I'd done it in two or three different JavaScript frameworks. And so now I can actually compare like how each of them functions for this type of app. And I can actually I can make a good decision and can tell a client like, okay, for your app, we're going to pick this one because of this reason. And, you know, it's it's worked good. I've done it for client-side programming, server-side programming. I've done a to-do list app in Redis, you know, just using their uh, the API. So you, you can go pretty far with that. you got to kind of figure out what your main skill is. And if you can, especially if you're going to write about it, like try to try to pick something that your clients are going to enjoy or something that they might get some value out of because you can get some additional benefit of you're learning it, but you're also showing your clients that you know what you're doing um, and you can kind of, you know, double up on your time there, which is kind of nice. All right. The next question. How do you find a group to join, a mastermind group? So I can talk about that a little bit. I've been a member of several. So I have to back up a little bit and say that there are mastermind groups that are good and mastermind groups that are not good. The mastermind groups that I get the most out of are the ones that provide both good feedback and pretty much immediate feedback as much as possible and provide some level of accountability. So the first mastermind group I was in, there were a bunch of guys out here in Utah that we all decided we were going to get together and talk about our ventures, right? Well, it turned into us getting together and having lunch together and just, you know, shooting the bull. And if somebody didn't deliver, then boo-hoo, wah-wah, nobody said anything. You know, it was just like, oh, that sucks, and, you know, we would move on. And so eventually we disbanded because nobody was getting anything out of it except for, you know, the opportunity to go get lunch every few weeks. So I joined another one. It was the Podcast Mastermind. It was put on by Cliff Ravenscraft. And there were things that I liked about it and things that I didn't like about it. And so that's one way you can find an established group that puts on the masterminds and then join one and then see if it fits you, if it works for you. But anyway, so I joined that one, and everybody was kind of at a different place. And so some people's feedback was awesome, and some people's feedback was less awesome. And I felt like I had friends there, and I really felt like I connected, so I didn't feel so alone. It was kind of a social thing as well. But it really just didn't give me that full level of accountability and feedback that I wanted. I mean, there was a marketing guy in there that gave me a lot of great advice, and other folks had good ideas, but it just wasn't quite what I needed. And then I started one, and then I joined another since that one closed down. And the first one, we do pretty well. We get together, we talk about stuff. One person kind of you know, talks about their business, and we give them advice. And that works out really nicely. And then the other one is the Entreprogrammers podcast. And it's actually our mastermind group call. Now, there are some things that we don't necessarily share on the show, but for the most part, you know, we talk about almost everything. You know, unless it's going to cause us issues to disclose particular information. And that one's great because, you know, we, we do have that feedback. You know, we talk about the issues. I get a ton of great advice. Um, I get encouraged to follow up on it. We have an email list that we're all on. And so, you know, those guys encourage me after the show and during the week. And if I have questions, I can throw stuff out there. So, you know, that's really what pays off for me is I found people that were kind of at the same place that I was and that were just, they would encourage me to get stuff done and they would give me, uh, you know, good advice. And I felt like I could give them good advice too on the things that I know more about. So I know that's a long answer, but the trick is, is really just, you know, finding those people. And I don't know, it takes a long time to really find a group that will really fit you, but you can always start one and then invite people in that you think would be a good fit as well. I don't know. It seems like that's kind of the deal, though. 
is just meet more people and then either invite them to be part of the mastermind group or find a mastermind group that you think looks like what you want. Yeah, and I kept looking for one and not finding it until someone said, why don't you just start one? And that was, I started one immediately, like immediately. Why don't you start one? Okay, let's start talking to people about it. So I've been running one for, oh, it's coming up on second Christmas at least, so like a year and a half. We've had two people drop out and we brought two new people in. I usually like let someone drop out, you know, leave it a month or two to let the group stabilize again and bring someone new in. Right. We're five people. The biggest, I really like it. I know they say they get a lot of value out of it. The biggest thing that I find sometimes as the organizer is that I don't get asked some of the harder questions that I am posing to people. So maybe that's just my feeling. Uh, maybe I answer them. I know I, I know I absolutely answer more of my own hard questions to the group than I would have asked maybe on my own. I didn't have someone else who was going to ask me next, well, why did you do that, Curtis? And so I just said, tell them right up front why I did something. But it's been really good. I know two of the people doubled their income last much on advice that we like business and just run a business, not a hobby that most pay the bills. I was actually very skeptical of masterminds. I mean, I heard about them for a long time from various people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I joined Brendan's Freelancers Guild. And one of the first things he did was sort of divide people up into masterminds. And my impression is that my group is one of the only ones, if not the only one, that has actually sort of survived. We've been going for a little more than a year now. And it's, I think, five of us. I'm in Europe and I'm in Israel. And every Friday morning we meet for about an hour or so. And I have to say it's one of the high points of my week. First of all, there's definitely the social aspect. We know each other. We know each other's businesses. We know each other's to some degree personal lives. And we're really all there to help each other and encourage each other. And each of us, like, we do it sort of in a round. So everyone gets, I don't know, 10 minutes or so to sort of say, I'm up to this, I'm doing that. And everyone gives feedback and suggestions. And I've definitely gotten a lot of suggestions, very practical ones, and, and encouragement to go in a certain certain way with my business. But I feel like these are people I can talk to. These are people who sort of, they're where I am, they know what I'm up to, um, and they, they want me to succeed. And they've, in some ways, been through it before as well. We've tried for a while to do the sort of hot seat approach, where each week someone was sort of like the main guest of honor, as it were, and they took about half, two-thirds of the time, and we talked about how to improve their business specifically. And that actually worked well. The only problem was we had to be sure that that person would show up on a particular week in terms of scheduling. And all of us, we have families, we have other stuff going on, and so we don't always manage to show up on such a schedule. But I wouldn't be surprised if moving back to that would be even more effective for our uh, business improvement. Yeah, and we do a roundtable most of the time. So we also have a Slack chat that we're in all week. So unless someone comes up with like a real specific business need that we need to focus on them first, and we do that. And we also actually go through a book typically as well. So usually we've just been reading a book a quarter, but now we're doing Michael Port, what's a book yourself solid? And so every other week we're coming and talking about the chapter. And at the end of that hour, we usually do an hour and a half, but at the end of that, the first hour we, you know, is there anything real pressing that someone needs to talk specifically about their business? Are you having a client issue? Are you having something else, right? And then we'll focus in on that. And then everyone else just updates the report and we use a WordPress site with a theme called P2, which is all kind of front end and you can just enter things and it emails off to everyone so they can all see it. And then I record them all as well, so I upload them. And that means that anyone, so even like our newest member, can go back and see all of them from the beginning pretty much, yeah, because I haven't deleted any yet. Yeah. I know that uh, Dan Miller put out some kind of resource about putting together a mastermind group. and we It's had a Udemy course. Time. Oh, is it a Udemy course? Yep, I've done no. it. It was really good. I did it last, Christmas last year. It was really good. That's why yeah. I can't um, find I'd it. I've already been running it for six months, and it was good... There's a lot of little tips that I picked up in there, even in the vetting process. So the initial five people, there is at least one in our initial five people that probably want you to talk more about freelancing without doing a lot of action to actually get there. And so that great guy, like no, nothing wrong 
like I said, yeah, nothing wrong with them at all, mm-hmm. but just not the right person for that. If they want to do that, they need to talk to someone else because every week it was like, have you done these three things last week? No, and there's a reason for it. So then I've been more careful. Um, I let the group decide when we get down to one or two people, but there's a whole bunch of vetting up front that I do before we even let someone to that. You know, here's two people to choose from for the next spot in our group. Yeah. Very nice. All right, next question. What is a good resource to find projects on to be a subcontractor on? Get to know people. I don't yeah. know. I was just going to say personal connections. Yeah. I mean, it's rare for me to go to someone who has an agency or whatever and say, hey, do you have extra work for me? Although perhaps that would be a smart thing to do. But it's not uncommon for me to just sort of talk to people, whether it's at a conference or online or emailing or whatever. And sometimes if they have extra work or if they need help, they'll call me. You know, hey, I, I just don't have capacity now. Can you help me out? But it's all like the more people you know, the better it is in general. I mean, I hired uh, subcontractors out of the Rails class that I taught, and I've hired subcontractors because I met them online, and that's usually how it works out for me. So it's usually one or the other. Yeah, I was saying in chat, the subcontractors I've hired are from my class that I taught. And like, when I just get a cold email saying, hey, I'm looking for subcontract work, if there's no relationship, I don't even respond to them. When it starts off with, they sent someone email me yesterday actually saying, you know, they listened to the show we did with Donald a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, this is really good. I love this part. I love this part. I love this part. You know, is there a little bit of advice? And there's at least a relationship there. So I am more likely to even respond to those, right? Because I get, I don't get like hundreds of emails a day, but I get enough a day where I have to, where I choose what I will spend my time on because it's not going to be even all day. Yeah, I mean, I know that you can go to users groups. I know that there are online users groups for certain communities, you know, and, and yeah, what it really comes down to is your ability to meet people who need that work. And so if you can find your way into freelancing communities in general, you know, and find somebody who's kind of on that edge where they're starting to pick up more work and, you know, they don't have enough hours to get the work done or things like that, then you can uh, contact them and find that. So, but yeah, it really comes down to getting to know people. So even going back to open source contribution and getting to know people, I know my friend Pippin, who we had on like episode 70 or something, mm-hmm. all the people that he's hired to be his employees at Easy Digital Downloads have been people who are already in support for him helping people or have been people that were already contributing to the code. And then he said, this is really good. Let's try out a contract or two. And then he's actually brought them in. Like, do you want to come on as a full-time employee? And it's all people that have worked out that way. He's tried, like, let's say a job ad or other ways and has never, never had success. Yep. Yeah. The other thing is, is a personal recommendation also goes a long way. So you may yeah, meet absolutely. the person who would be hiring you, but you may meet somebody they know and impress them enough to give you that kind of a recommendation. Like I said, if Pippin said, hey, this person's really good, Curtis, you'd be great to work with them, I would say, okay. You know, I don't know them yet, so I don't know necessarily their communication style, but that puts them light years ahead of a random email. Yeah, I mean, just today, I got email from a good long-term friend of mine, friend and colleague, and we'd worked together on a bunch of projects. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know, I met with you know some new guy, and he's looking for someone to do development, and I mentioned you. So I spoke to that guy like an hour or two later, and... Maybe after a five-minute conversation, he said, well, I'm not really looking for someone. I'm looking for someone for a friend of mine. So it was like down the chain. But because it came from a good friend of mine who gave me a strong recommendation, basically, by the time this guy called the client, the client called me about five minutes later, and I have a meeting with them, and it looks like it's going to be a medium-large-sized project. So you know, the, the power of personal contacts and recommendations cannot be understated. Yeah, and I haven't met. Like, I've never met you guys personally either, right? like face-to-face, and even Pip and I've only met him once. We had worked together and like sent referrals back and forth lots of times before I had ever even talked to him on Skype and before I met him this summer. And actually, I think almost everyone at 
the conference I was at this summer where we were at a beach house for a week, like there's probably only four people out of 30 that I had met face-to-face before and everyone else is just, you know, my reference friends and the really people I chat on on Twitter but or in chat rooms and we know each other well enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't have to be face-to-face contact, although that certainly does, you know, take it up a level. Yeah, and the next question kind of ties into this because it's do any of you act as mentors and how do you approach somebody to ask to be a mentor? And that, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you, you have to get to know them. It's really hard to walk up to somebody you don't know and ask them to help you increase your skill in whatever it is that you're trying to learn. You have to have that relationship somehow in order to make that work. You know, we can talk about whether or not we actually do mentorships in a minute, but I think it's the same question as far as finding people to mentor you or finding uh, work as a subcontractor. I actually, I love mentoring. I love working with people. One of my favorite things to do is not, I mean, yes, I, I really enjoy doing training, but I even more enjoy going to companies and sort of going around okay, yes, I have a PhD now and everything, but I call it being sort of a doctor where I like say, okay, yeah, we, I sit next to the person, I'm like, oh, tell me where your code hurts, right? And so we sit for about half an hour, an hour, and we pair on and we talk about it. And it's just so much fun for me because I'm working on an actual project. I'm working with someone and I'm helping them to improve their skills. It's a challenge for me because it means, okay, how fast can you see this code and understand it and help to improve and give insights that are actually worthwhile? And so when I've been able to do that, I enjoy it. And I wish, actually, like more people would just come up to me and say, hey, would you mind doing this with me? But yeah, so I mean, if you think someone could really help you out, ask them. Just totally Mm -hmm. ask them. Worst case, they'll say no, but probably they'll at least be flattered. And, uh, you know, they might even be able to work something out with you. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out is that mentorship, so I, I really enjoy mentoring people. I like pairing with people, pair programming you know, things like that, and just spending the time to help people, you know, get ahead. The issue that I have is that a lot of times I don't have a lot of time, and so they want mentorship, and I just can't figure out where to fit them in. It's easier to do that if there's something that I am getting in return, because if you free up some of my time, then I can give it to you. And so if you are willing to contribute to documentation or write code or do design or, you know, backfill some other need that I have, that I would have to do on my own, then it's worth it to me to, you know, take that time and invest in you as well. And, you know, it's not this, you know, you give me something and I'll give you something because a lot of times I am willing to just sit down and, and talk to people for a while. But if I'm really strapped for time, you know, that that's a great way to go. And I know that a lot of other folks are that way too. So you start contributing to their open source project or you start contributing to their business in one way or another you know you do some work on one of their projects that they're billing on and and help them you know make up some revenue so that they can take the time to work with you or you can just pay somebody to to do that and I do paid coaching as well but you know if you make it worth it to them then it's a lot easier to get a mentor to take the time to sit down with you I'm not even sure that worth it is the right word it's the relationship right yeah so I have even people who comment on my blog or email me about my blog regularly and they say hey Curtis you know, sometimes it's spelling mistakes and, you know, hey, can I talk to you next week about something? And I am, even if I have a lot of full time, I am much more likely to try and extract that time that I can find. Like, yes, I've got 20 minutes at this point to talk to you about whatever. I keep one slot, call slot kind of open for freelancers to just call me, no charge, it's half an hour, whatever. And then I do kind of paid coaching and mentoring. And I actually mentor one person or coach them weekly all the time. Because I'd like to keep those three, well, three things. I have one free mastermind group I run, one free kind of full-time coaching weekly, and then one free 30-minute slot per week for someone to just call about whatever in your business, whether it's marketing or whether it's even like I've had technical calls from people who want to talk that way. Everything else I really need to 
keep paid unless, again, unless there's that relationship, right? So you know, a friend in Vancouver calls me about some pricing stuff over sushi a couple weeks ago, and I pick up the phone and we talk, and that's fine. Yeah, they make it easier for you to care. All right, do we have any other questions? Questions that we can answer for the panel? Curtis, when is that a free time slot? <laughs> if you email me, curtis at curtismichael.ca, then I'll send you back a link, a Calendly link, which makes it book properly. So it's only one. It's on Thursdays at 9 or 10 a.m. Pacific. And once one of them gets booked, they're all gone. So I only do one, say one half hour per week. And if a client takes one of them, then that slot is gone. So theoretically, a client could take two of them. Because I do need to prioritize paying my bills, although usually there is one slot open all the time. And you can email me at my site, curtis at curtismichael.ca. You're going to get a lot of email, dude. Oh, and by the way, I'm actually heading out to mount, run a mountain after this. I have gear piled up where you can't see it. It was in the back corner, and I just shoved it forward out of the camera view. And I'll be out there tomorrow all afternoon as well, and Friday all day. So I'll get back to it next week, maybe. And I know so, next week's call is already booked, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll just talk to you while you're running. I got cell reception at the top of the mountain there, actually, because it's a clear line to the cell tower, like, way below you. There's two mountains I can get cell reception on. You occasionally get a text message and, like, really... You have to bring a cantina. What is it like a Pringles can? You make into a directional antenna. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that's a major priority for Curtis when he does this like 22 million mile run. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and just wrap it up. Thank you all for coming. If you have any other questions, you know, feel free to shoot one of us an email and let us know, and we'll answer it next month. We're still figuring out the scheduling on that, so keep your uh, eyes peeled, and we'll actually give you a little more notice than we did this week, and that's my fault, and I'm sorry about that, but. Yeah, so we'll give you a little more notice, and that way you can get your questions in before we get started. Excellent. All right, bye. Bye, everyone. Take care. Out. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.